continue in worship with a reading from the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 21. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth, distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud, with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Ginny. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmanuel, and it's really good to be in church with you this morning. Happy Advent. Um, I don't know that happy is the right word for Advent, but um, sounds less weird than good Advent. So happy Advent to you. Uh, if you are new to the church calendar or to Emmanuel or to the word Advent at all, maybe it, maybe you had a, a cute calendar with chocolate in it when you were a kid and that's what it means to you. That's what it meant to me until I grew up and went to an Anglican church. Uh, what Advent is, is the season before Christmas. We have these four weeks where we uh, come to church and we sing the sadder of the Christmas songs together, it seems, on Sunday mornings. Um, and then we get to Christmas Day and we all get to celebrate Christ's coming, his birth, and we get to do that with giving presents and singing the joyful songs of Christmas and really leaning into the joy that is that season. And yet, before that day comes, we live into this season before, a season of waiting, a season of sort of darkness as we wait for the light of Christmas to come. In the Advent season, we light a candle each week. One more each week, all the way up until Christmas Eve, when we light this beautiful one here in the middle, uh, signifying Christ with us, Emmanuel has finally come. The church calendar as a whole invites us into stories throughout the year that give larger and deeper meaning into our own stories and experiences. What we get to do through the church calendar is actually live out the life of Jesus alongside him. It's why we do this every year, why we live in this way into Advent and Lent and Easter and all the seasons. Uh, we want to walk with Jesus through his life. It's how we're going to become more like him. Uh, and yet, Advent is unique in that we are meant to kind of come into this season of kind of before Jesus. It's the only time we're entering into a space, a spiritual space, where Jesus wasn't already there. And clearly he was there living eternally with the Father. But in terms of like Jesus on earth incarnated, God with us, we come into this new church year, this new season, in this sort of dark space before the Lord came to be with us. So 
Um, this is a Christian New Year, if you didn't know. We have like these three-year cycles that we live through. We just finished up year B. We're now moving into year C. That maybe matters to me and like two people in this room. But happy New Year to you. The thing that I love about this being the New Year is that Christians don't begin the New Year on Christmas morning. We don't begin it with the celebrating and the opening of gifts. We do what Jesus did, which is come in solidarity with those who are living in the darkness those who are waiting desperately for Jesus to come, that's where the church begins its year, in solidarity with those longing for Jesus. So that's what we're doing over the next four weeks, is we're coming in solidarity with the people who are suffering around the world, throughout the ages, throughout history, like Jesus did. We're coming alongside. We're coming in that space. We want to dwell within it as Jesus did with us. So that's what we'll be talking about living through the next uh, four weeks. We're going to join in song together every week, uh, our kind of heart song for this season, which we just sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. That is our song for this season. That's a spiritual space you and I are invited into, this space of a sense of longing and desire growing in us for Jesus that can only be satisfied by him that we get to celebrate incarnate on Christmas morning. So the church begins here in the darkness. Our theme this year for Advent is Advent, we're calling it Advent in Exile. Exile, I believe, is an incredibly important metaphor, a spiritual metaphor for understanding what it's like not only just to be a human, but to be a Christian in particular. Exiles are people who have been forced out of their own country, their home, the comfortable place, the safe space. That's who exiles are. What life was, it is no longer. And now these people, these exiles, have to figure out how to live in this sort of new world, a world which they likely wouldn't have chosen on their own. Exile was a real moment in the history of God's people. Around 587 BCE, I know some of your brains are like, uh, turn back on history. So around 587 BCE, what happens is uh, God's people are are not doing great. Uh, The king of Babylon comes and sacks Jerusalem and destroys the temple and forces thousands of Israelites out of Israel and into Babylon. Uh, This is one of the defining moments of God's people in the Old Testament. Does anyone know the other one? What would we say the other defining moment was? Exodus, somebody say it? Yeah, yeah, great. Exodus and exile, yes, two E's, easy to remember. But we don't have a Disney movie on the exile, right? We didn't grow up singing songs uh, about the exile. And, well, we didn't at least, Jewish people do. But uh, So we don't, ha- we don't know the exile like, uh, like we ought to, I believe. It's a big part of your Old Testament. Uh, we're going to talk a lot more about it at the class if you'd like to come and join us. Here's why it was such a defining moment for God's people. It was the moment that they had to determine if they were going to lose everything about their faith, everything about their history, everything about their life. They had to decide if they were moved into a land where uh, they were not in the promised land, they did not have the temple of God, and where they did not have their king, all the signs of the promises of what it meant to be God's people. If they were going to lose all of those things and move into this defiled and foreign land, were they going to still be God's people? And they decided that they were. And they continued on. Their faith lived. This should not have happened. History tells us that when these kinds of things, when these kinds of disruptions happen to people groups, they, all of their history is lost. And they become kind of uh, 
eaten up by this new culture and this new history, and we, we lose those stories, uh, the songs, the prayers, the beauty of these people groups because they just get eaten, swallowed up by these other communities. This didn't happen for the people of God. They learned how to live faithfully in the present moment as exiles. And that is what you and I are invited into in this season. This is what we're going to lean into over the next few weeks. We're invited in the season of Advent to consider ourselves exiles so that we can learn how to live faithfully too. So that with Peter, what we begin to say today about Jesus to Jesus, and it grows over the next four weeks, is this. When Peter tells Jesus in the Gospel of John, where else would I go? To whom else would I go? You are the one who has the words of eternal life. We've looked around. Things look desolate. There's nowhere else to go. And so we set our course, our faces like flint, like it says about Jesus and Isaiah. We move towards Jesus. We decide that he's it, and we want to move towards him no matter what the darkness of the season may look like, what it may feel like. Thinking of ourselves as exiles is no new thing. It's how many Christian leaders and thinkers have described what it's like to live in the era of the cosmos that we're currently living in. We call it the already and the not yet. So this idea that Jesus has already come. Christ has come. He was born. He lived a perfect life. He died. He was raised to life, and now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father and is king over all the earth. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All of that is true. And even so, we live in an era before his promised second coming, when all things will be resurrected and made like him in his resurrection, when we will see him face to face and he will wipe every tear from our eyes, we're before that time. So you and I are living in this sort of exile of, of life, of what it means to be someone who knows Jesus, to long for him to come again. And we live in these sort of smaller more intimate, personal exiles in our life, all our life through. We can enter in and out of seasons that we didn't choose, that we were forced into, where everything is different. We're learning how to do a, a new thing in our own lives. I think we're all sort of collectively doing this right now as we live in a COVID world, you know? There's no end date. There's just a new normal. There's just a new way of living. And a lot of us aren't happy about that. And that's a pretty exilic way to feel. There are seasons in our life where a tragedy happens or a death happens or a diagnosis happens and we have to figure out how to live in the after. It's like I was a person before this and I'm a different person after and now I have to know how to live in this new space. Those are our own little exiles that we live in. Sometimes it looks like an exile of just faith. Everything in your life can be relatively normal, but what you're feeling about God is, is a sort of separation. And you're asking questions about God maybe you've never asked before, experiencing doubt in a way that you never have before, and God just feels, couldn't feel farther from your life or your situation that you're in. These are all little ways in which we're in exile. The question for us, if we're exiles, if we're going to commit to living in a world that is not yet made right, in the already and the not yet, if we're going to live faithfully in and out of our own little exiles throughout our life, how do we live faithfully? How do we carry through this faith, through these seasons of hardship and darkness and uncertainty? How do we come out on the other side more substantial, more like Jesus? So our first text, or our first Advent text today uh, comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. 
And what I, one of the things I love about Luke is that uh, Jesus comes to us in Luke as a sort of uh, the older brother you always wanted. Um, he's in Mark, which we studied the last year, he's pretty apocalyptic, you know, he's pretty urgent. Things are, things are really happening really right now, and they're very, uh, they're very kind of sharp and urgent. And in Luke, we get this kind of a little bit more of the tender side um, of Jesus as Luke experienced him, that he's, he's kind of this older brother who sees all the wonderful things about you and like tells you, you know, off on the side. And um, he's like your, your biggest supporter and your greatest defender. Uh, he sees all the ways in which you need to enter into uh, life with God, and he encourages you and, and pulls you into those, those things and, and wants to defend you and guard you in this life. And that's the person that I saw this week in this text, as scary and apocalyptic as it is, which Advent, first week of Advent always is. Um, what we get to do in this text is see this version of Jesus, this person that he was to so many people, this tender uh, man so what's happening in this text is uh, a couple of things. Jesus is nearing the end of his life, and so things are getting more urgent for him. And what he knows is about to happen is he's going to die and be resurrected and ascend and go live with the Father. And there is something that's in, in that, that experience. It's going to be too much for some of his disciples. We see in the end of the Gospel of Luke that a lot of people no longer follow Jesus who followed him when he was on earth. Um, was just kind of an effect of what happened. The doubt just grew too heavy and too strong, and there was too many other things calling out to, to be followed. And so what Jesus is saying here is uh, kind of warning them, like things are going to get hard. But it's not just that Jesus is going to ascend and not be with them in body anymore. Another thing is going to happen, he's saying. That what happened in 587 is going to happen again, but this time it will be the Romans. What's happened in Jerusalem before is going to happen again. The Romans are going to come in. They're going to take over the city, burn it down, and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to tear down the temple. It was another way to acknowledge the promises of God and live within them for the Jewish people. It was a way to know that they were in the hand of God, the apple of his eye, those things. And those were going to be gone again. And so Jesus here is doing this like older brother thing where he's like, things are about to get really, really hard. And it's going to be scary. And so he, he does this kind of brotherly thing where he says, and let me tell you two things for ways to live in the midst of what may be the hardest season and may even be the, the rest of the season of your life. Let me tell you what to do. So these are the two things that he says. The first thing is, look at the fig tree and all the trees. He's saying, learn how to discern the season that you are in. In the same way that trees and things in nature begin to show us, you know, we can like, you know how you wake up and, uh, one morning and you're like, oh my gosh, it's spring. It's like that kind of thing. They'll start to show us these little ways uh, that things are changing and that we can begin to live into a new season. Jesus is saying that same thing is true for your life, that little things will begin to change in your life. You'll be able to see signs and, and hear kind of uh, discern things that are happening in and around your life in ways that you can be invited into understanding the season. And I think that's particularly important in hard seasons for us to know and discern that like things are gonna get hard and I'm gonna have to really dig in here. So he's saying that's possible. And here's how I think that's possible. We have to know our Bibles. We have to be people of the text. We have to be centered in the bigger story. If we're going to live out our little stories, it must be centered in a story bigger than our own. 
Because what happens is we begin to allow our world, our experiences, our suffering to become situated in a story that's bigger than just ours. We recognize the actions of God in the world around us because we know what he's like. We've read the stories. We know what it looks like when God moves in the world. We know what it sounds like when he speaks to someone. We know what it feels like to be a person who's seeking after God. We know what it looks like to be a Christian who's, or a person who's, who's living in life with someone else while God reigns over you, you know? Like we learn how to identify those stories. They begin to define our own stories when we don't know how to define them. When we've lost all meaning for the suffering or even the joy sometimes of what, what that season means. Writer Francis Bufford, I think I'm saying his name right, says this, we Christians don't have an argument that solves the problem of the cruel world, but we do have a story. In seasons of darkness and exile, when you no longer know how to discern God's voice, or you don't get the feels at church like you know you're supposed to, you know? Do you know what you can hold on to? His stories. They're still just as real. They're still just as much his voice as anything else is. This is what you can hold on to. When I was in my uh, junior year of college, I've, I've struggled with depression in and out of, of my life, not recently, thanks be to God, but in my junior year of college, I was w- probably the worst one, the worst bout of it. Um, I barely made it through, and I don't say that lightly. Um, I was living alone in a big apartment in Five Points downtown. Something about the apartment being big, big made me felt more lonely somehow. Um, I was broke. I, it was just, it was not a good season. I also was struggling with my relationship with God. I felt like Christian faith no longer made sense in my life. Um, I was asking questions, and I was not feeling anything I was supposed to feel anymore. I didn't know how to hear from God. And most poignantly, this thing that I had always loved, the Bible, thing that had like tasted sweet in my mouth began to taste bitter. I couldn't read it anymore without feeling angry or confused or hurt. I like, began to feel personally hurt by the person of Jesus when I read the Gospels. And I didn't know, what, what do you do as a Christian when you can't read these stories anymore, when they don't feel like your own? That's how the Bible felt to me, except for one story, one book. It was Jonah, someone called by God but was deeply unsure runs away a lot, which I was really good at at the time, still am, but particularly then, throws himself overboard in the sea storm, which is so dramatic and also was very, um, very much like me in that time. Uh, God rescues him in this story by having a fish swallow him, and he lives in the belly of this fish for three days. And I remember distinctly sitting in my bed thinking, this is my story. This is the story of a depressed person who's in relationship with God. The feeling of like watching him torture himself and trap himself and not be able to get out of it and God being kind and that being annoying, you know, like all of those feelings that that Jonah had, I just was experiencing every one in my own life. And what that story did for me was it gave dignity and meaning to one of the worst seasons that I've lived through a season where nothing gave me meaning or dignity. The story of Jonah did. It just spoke to me. It was God giving me meaning in in a bigger story over my life than this terrible, small story that I was living, that I hated living in. God gave me a new story, even if it was a complicated one or a sad one. 
was still one that gave it life, gave my life meaning. What it did was it gave me a prayer, too, which if you've been in hard seasons, you know it's hard to pray. It gave me a prayer of, like, sitting in the belly of that fish. That's what depression felt like to me. And I would just pray, like, spit me out. That was my prayer. Spit me out, please. God, rescue me. Gave me something to pray. This is why we love the church seasons, because they allow us to lean into stories like they're our own. And they are. God has given them to us as stories for us to live within. Our lives can become explained by them, and we can become comforted by them. Scripture isn't just good discipline, although it is. It's not just vitamins, although it is. It's not just a good thing to do. It's supposed to be daily bread for you. It is supposed to feed your life, give you a way to wake up the next morning, um, feed you in a way that's deep and meaningful and can send you out into the world to do the things that you need to do. This season begs for us to enter into a story. When else do we act out the stories, you know? Do we recite them over and over again? Do we sing about them? Uh, Some churches do this with the passion. We will not do that here. Um, But we do that in Advent. We, We sing these songs and we recite the stories and we think deeply into them. And that is what this season is for. Find yourself in a Christmas story, in an Advent story. Zechariah is John the Baptist's father. Maybe you're him this season. Unbelief was enough to silence him to the point where he couldn't, literally couldn't speak for months. And your prayer might be, God, would you give me something to say that brings life into the world? Would you cast the doubt from me so that I can say something good into the world? Which is what he did months later when he said his son's name. His name is John, he said. Or maybe you're Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, who's been given this, her own miraculous pregnancy. And yet her kind of vocation in that season was to be a forerunner, a sort of mother and encourager to Mary, who is having a, also a miraculous pregnancy. It's hard to uplift someone else when you're living through something that you think is really, really good. But she did. Maybe that's something that you can live into in this season. Or Mary, who is in the greatest season of uncertainty in her life and just kept saying yes and yes and yes. And when things got really confusing and perplexing, what did she do? She did not lash out or react. She, she went inside herself and asked questions to God and pondered things and self-reflected and trusted in God. Maybe that needs to be you. Or maybe you're Joseph where you don't get to be Jesus' biological dad, but you do get to choose him. And Mary, in a world in which that would have been scandalous, you get to do the next faithful thing for your family and say yes to them. Maybe that's you this season. There are so many stories, and they don't even have to be from like this church season for you to live into. God wants to give you meaning in your story by allowing you to see yourself within these other stories, relating to God through them, praying through them. Lastly, Jesus tells us in this text, he says, Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the worries of this life. Be on guard sounds kind of tough, but what the translation could also say, and I think is a better translation for for what Jesus is saying here, is uh, take heed or watch yourself or even take care of yourself. As you live into seasons that are really, really hard, your tendency, Jesus is saying, is going to be towards uh, self-indulgence, self-harm, escapism, numbing, and anxiety spirals. 
but you can be different. You can take care of yourself. You are meant to live intentionally into this bigger story, Jesus is saying. You can make small choices in your life to live into this new way of living. Because there's a difference between relaxation and numbing and escaping. One's a part of your story and one is exiting a story. There's a difference between thinking through something and an anxiety spiral. I think what Jesus is saying here to us is to recognize how much your life means how much the small acts of faithfulness really mean in your life to you, to the people around you, to like the the hosts of heaven, how much the small acts of faithfulness in your life actually mean something. How much going to the grocery store really means, as silly as it may sound. How much turning in that project really does mean. Or all the diapers, all of them, they mean something. It means something to heaven that you're faithful, that you continue to to give to your life and the people in your life in that way. I've been in a season of exile myself this year. Our family, like, doing things, living in spaces that we would not choose on our own, that are not friendly or happy, and it's just not great. Um, And yet, I've learned so much in this year. Um, I've learned from it that faithful life as a Christian in most simple terms, I believe, is two things. Grieving well the dead things in your life and tending to the living things. As simple as that. Processing through, honoring the things that we've lost, be it people or ideas or abilities or hopes. Intending to all the little living things, your job, your kids, your relationships, your plants, your dog. God cares, you know. Those things matter and your plans and your hopes and your dreams and all of those good things. Small acts of faithfulness are a resistance to dissipation, drunkenness, and the worries of this life. They're like holy, rebellious acts of hope in a dark and sinful world. I've begun to ask God to to reveal to me how meaningful these small things are because some days I'm like, I'm not going to make it if I have to do one more small thing. I want to hear like a hallelujah chorus as I take out the trash. (laughs) And I need it sometimes. And God is faithful to tell us and to show us. I was home with my daughter yesterday, and she went down for a nap, and I was washing the dishes, yet another horrible faithful act. And I looked out the window and saw this sad little rosemary plant that I neglected for eight months that I just repotted in a giant pot, and I'm trying to to make it live. Um, and, And I saw it tipped over in the yard, fully spilled out onto the ground. And I went out there, and I begrudgingly started <laughs> scooping it back in, you know, and, um, and burst into tears because I could feel the Holy Spirit saying, this is it. This is the life. These are the small acts of faithfulness that change, change things, that make you more like Jesus. These are the ways in which Jesus was faithful in his life. You tend to the small things that are like living in your life around you. You have eyes to see and ears to hear them, and you do the things that keep them alive. And you celebrate their life. You move towards them. You grieve the things that are gone. Give them space and tend the living things. That's life as a Christian. That's life as an exile. That's how these people made it through this season, was they did the small acts of faithfulness that made them who they were, that made them the people of God. Living into the church seasons allows us to practice being the kind of people we want to be. So whether or not you're in an exilic sort of season or if you're in a season of great joy, what this season offers us 
is a chance to practice being the kinds of people who live faithfully in exile. And that's what we want to do together this season. We want to put ourselves into the bigger story of Advent together over the next four weeks. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.